Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Good morning. You guys enjoying this cool weather in the summer of Texas? Yeah, gotta love it. All right, so we are continuing this series called Breaking Bad. And in this series, we're taking a look at some things in our lives that are quite frankly destructive. And we're gonna be talking about areas of our lives in this series that we don't like to talk about a whole bunch. And this morning, we're gonna be looking at the topic of envy. Now, I think that just admitting envy feels a little bit childish, doesn't it? It feels embarrassing, immature, weak. I think we can admit jealousy because jealousy, it's not as deep. It's not as ugly. I'm not saying that jealousy is good, but jealousy is more like a bruise and envy is more like a hemorrhage, okay? So that's the one we're going after. You see, jealousy, it just kind of comes and goes. Whenever I see another person who may be appearing to be better than I am at something, maybe better looking, more spiritual, smarter, funnier, I can be jealous. And so you can imagine I experience jealousy a lot. But you see, jealousy kind of comes and goes. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> and you do too, right? I mean, jealousy, it just kind of comes and goes. But the thing about jealousy, I would say, is it doesn't leave this residue in your heart like envy does. All right, so here's jealousy, right? You go to the gym and you see a guy working out who's about your age. He's got a 32-inch waist and a six-pack, right? And then you look at yourself and you work out with your shirt untucked, uh, kind of have the male maternity look going on to hide that extra roll underneath there. And you look over that guy, you go, yeah, sure, I'd like to be in better shape, but yeah, who cares? You grab a donut and you go home, right? That's about it. That's jealousy. And you see, you really don't hold anything against that guy. Now here's envy. All right, envy is when you pull into a parking lot and you see this really, really sweet Porsche that's parked there, but it's taking up like three spots. You know, nobody touches the nice car. And so you drive around the parking lot looking for a parking space. It takes you 10 minutes to find one. And when you finally find that parking spot, you're kind of parked between trash cans and shopping carts. You try to open your door and it won't open. So you dismount through the hatchback. And, and as you dismount, you're thinking about how you might scratch that Porsche up a little bit. No, wait, that, that's not jail. That's not envy. That's anger. Okay, that's a different issue. Here's, here's envy. You ready? Envy, though, is when you pull into the church parking lot and you see that same Porsche there. And you know the guy who's driving it, and maybe you just don't like him a whole lot. You feel like he's kind of smug, a little arrogant, kind of flaunts his wealth. And you're envious because he's got the nice car and you don't. And so you sort of begin to go after the individual's character. Okay, that is envy. Suddenly he becomes your rival. And envy, you see, it's dangerous to the soul. And here's why. Because it doesn't leave quickly. We fixate on it. When somebody else has something that I feel like I deserve, right, I should have it, not you, that becomes envy. All of a sudden, you become an emotional rival, if you will. And no one is immune to envy. We all experience envy in different ways. And I don't know what your gig is when it comes to envy. For me, it's not cars. Cars and money, that doesn't do it for me. But when I thought about what really triggers my envy, I, I kind of thought about this for a while. And, and first thing that came to my mind, I went back to when my kids were playing sports, okay, this is just a Brian Threlkeld issue, but when my kid is on the same team as your kid, but your kid's getting more playing time than my kid, then I can begin to feel envious, 
right? I realize, you know, that, you know what? My kid's better than your kid. He's at all the practices, right? He deserves to be out there, but your kid's getting the playing time. And so I feel like you're getting something you don't deserve that I actually feel like my kid deserves more. And suddenly there's this envious feeling that springs up. Can any parents in here relate to this, okay? Am I the only overly biased sinning parent in this room, apparently? <laughs> Maybe you need some more examples. Some, some kid hits a two-run home run off your kid who's pitching. You're like, mm. And then your kid comes up to bat. That other kid who hit the two-run home run, he's pitching, strikes your kid out in three pitches. And suddenly he's your rival. I don't want your kid to succeed over my kid. Right? You begin to feel it, don't you? Or, or some kid in the neighborhood comes over to play, and she's got a straight-A report card pinned to her shirt, Right? Her parents drop her off in a car with that annoying bumper sticker that says, my child's student of the month. And you feel a little envious because maybe your kid's not going to taste that. Now, of course, I'm just making all this up, okay? I did have a student of the month. <clears throat> yeah. My child was student of the month at Juvie. Really proud of him. It was awesome. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay? He wasn't at Juvie <laughs> for long. But, but here's my point, all right? We know what it is to create rivals, to create emotional enemies. Okay, I want you to think about this. If you have ever been envious of someone's car, house, physique, marriage, kids, grandparents, uh, uh, grandkids rather, you know, maybe, maybe you've ever been envious of someone's success, salary, hair, beauty, wardrobe, education, temperament, athletic abilities, intelligence, spiritual gift, okay, any of those, raise your hand, okay? Raise it up high. Okay, welcome to Club Envy, right? Club Envy has a Central Texas chapter right here in Williamson County. It's on every street in the county. Let me just say this. Envy is universal. But if it goes unchecked, it can be extremely dangerous. I mean, envy can make people do some evil things. Remember the Texas cheerleader mom who killed somebody because she was envious of someone else's kid? Or who remembers Tanya Harding, right? Envy gone violent, <laughs> goes after Nancy Kerrigan's knees so she can't skate. I mean, history is littered with envious people doing horrendous acts of evil driven by envy. So I decided I'd make a little list of what envy does in people's lives. This is just what I've experienced personally. Let me read you some of these things so you can grasp the negative side of envy. Here's what envy does. Envy keeps your current and potential relationships from growing. Envy creates inaccurate judgments of other people. Envy hurts innocent people. Envy reveals the condition of one's heart. Envy can lead to sin and serious consequences. Envy diminishes the enjoyment of life, and envy chips away and destroys the work of God in one's life. So what's the bottom line? You can't live a happy life and be envious at the same time. It's totally impossible. You can't be happy and envious because envy wants something that it's not getting. And no one is immune from envy, but you can be immune from the bitterness and the resentment that accompany envy. And you don't have to just rely on my opinion. In the Bible, God has given us many, many illustrations of envy gone wrong and the tragic consequences connected to it. And I want to show you one today in the life of a guy named Joseph. I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 37 here. And I'm just going to read and share the front half of this tragic event. You can read the back half on your own. It's got an interesting ending. But on the front half of Joseph's story, there is envy gone bad. So let's dive in here. little context. Jacob is the dad. Joseph is the son. And then there's a list of brothers. This is Genesis 37, 3. 
Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Let's stop right there for a second. I mean, in the first few words of this passage, we have a setup for a giant problem. We have the breeding ground for envy. I mean, not only does Jacob love Joseph more than any other brothers, but he told people, okay? I have two words for Jacob the father, parenting class. I mean, I read this, it just drives me nuts. I mean, it fires me up. And the reason it fires me up is because of favoritism. How many of you grew up in a home where one of the kids was perceived to be the favorite? Would you just raise your hand up? Okay, this is good. All right, how many of you know you were not the favorite? Go ahead. Bunch of losers in this church, just like me. How many of you know you were the favorite? Go ahead, yeah, okay. Clearly need a week on pride here. I mean, many of us who grew up in a family with siblings, we kind of, you know, suspected that our parents had a favorite. But I mean, Joseph's brothers, they've got proof. This is an envy setup. Not only is Joseph the favorite one, the one that dad loves the most, but now, get this, he's given a special gift. Verse three. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Okay, the favoritism now takes on a very concrete form. Difficult word, to translate from the Hebrew. Some of your versions call it long sleeves. The King James Version calls it a coat of many colors, right? Whatever it is, this is one special coat, okay? Now, for me personally, I'm going, what's the big deal? A robe? I mean, who cares about it? In my mind, I think about my dad's robe, just nasty, disgusting. I mean, the guy wore it all the time. Every time he was inside, he had this kind of blue robe. It was blue at one time, at least. Holes, disintegrating fabric, these mystery stains on it from things he'd sat in and spilled on it. You know, the belt broke, he goes out in the garage, gets a bungee cord, wears it for another 15 years. <laughs> Disgusting. Okay, Joseph's robe's not like that. This is a sweet, sweet robe. This is different. I mean, it was like hand-tailored. They probably could have bought it in Armonte, you know, probably got the Galilee Galleria or something. This was really nice. Now, the brothers didn't get that. I, I don't even know, did the brothers get a jacket? I don't know, maybe they got some members-only knockoff jacket from Kmart, the blue light special. But Joseph's robe, man, Joseph's robe is unique. It's special. It says valued. In fact, in that culture, this was an expression of a father's love. And it was an expression of status. I'm telling you people, this is raw, in-your-face favoritism. Whenever Joseph wore that robe, it just drove that knife a little deeper into his brother's. And don't you think that Joseph probably wore the robe a whole bunch? Oh, yeah. Like the freshman kid who gets his letterman's jacket, right? Be 100 degrees outside, kid's wearing his letterman's jacket. No one else has got one. Every time Joseph puts on this robe, it is constantly communicating to the brothers, you're not the favorite. You're second best. You'll never be dad's favorite. And as we unpack this text this morning, I want to drop some nuggets of wisdom on you to help you understand envy better. And one of them is this. Envy starts with mild jealousy. And there are always legitimate opportunities for you to be jealous in life. Trust me. I mean, Joseph's brothers, don't you think it was legitimate that they would feel a little jealousy here? Sure it was. But the question is, how do we capture jealousy and just kind of diffuse it so that it doesn't turn into envy? Because envy can turn ugly. Envy can turn into anger, like we see in verse four. But his brothers hated Joseph because of their father's partiality. They couldn't say a kind word to him. This is really, really interesting to me. The brothers hated Joseph, but who should they have hated? 
dad. I mean, who's really at fault there? Jacob. Joseph wouldn't do anything, right? He just got the coat, right? But the text says, that didn't say the brothers hated their dad. Their anger grew so deep against Joseph, they couldn't say a kind word to him. Amazing. You see, that's how envy works. Envy distracts you from the real issue. Envy goes to blame when it should be looking inward. Envy causes you to blame the wrong person, the wrong thing. Now, the brothers, they wanted dad's love. I don't think this was about the code at all. This was about dad's love, dad's acceptance. But here's how envy works. Envy clouds your perspective. It turns friends or potential friends into enemies. When you think of your rival and you can't say a kind word about them, that's envy. Verse 5. One night, Joseph had a dream and promptly reported the details to his brothers, causing them to hate him even more. Listen to this dream, he announced. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. My bundle stood up, and then your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before it. So you're going to be our king, are you? His brothers taunted. And they hated him all the more for his dream and what he had said. Okay, those of you who grew up in a family with brothers, can you picture this scene? How bragging, taunting. So they hated him all the more. They hated him so much that they now begin to plot about how to take out that robe, how to take out the favored one. Verse 18, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance and made plans to kill him. Here's a question. How do you think they recognized him in the distance? Yeah, you think he could be the robe? I'm guessing. So they wanted to kill him. Now, I know where some of you guys are at. You're, you're sitting there, you're thinking, okay, wait a minute. Now, Brian, that, that's the biblical era <laughs> way back then. I mean, we're living in the 21st century, Williamson County. You know, we're highly educated. We've got a lot of stuff. Sure, I might envy so-and-so. I would never want to kill somebody. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Oh, really? Well, maybe your envy isn't going to go to murder, okay? Maybe your envy isn't going to get that violent. But how about killing a reputation by talking badly about your rival? Or how about killing someone's career by setting your rival up for failure? How about killing a relationship by going after that emotional rival, sabotaging him, sabotaging her? That happens all the time. That's a little closer to home, don't you think? But I'm telling you, envy can ride a quick escalator to anger, hatred, and revenge. They wanted to kill him. <clears throat> Verse 19, here comes that dreamer, they exclaimed. All right here we have another envy nugget right here. When you envy someone, you reduce them down to a term. You depersonalize, you dehumanize them. They're no longer a son, a daughter, a brother, or sister. They get framed in a cynical way by that possession that they have that you don't have. And here comes Mr. Porsche, right? Here comes Mrs. Liposuction. <laughs> here comes Mr. Rich Guy, Mr. I Wax My Chest Hair, whatever it is, right? You reduce them down. But there's something underneath that, I'm telling you. Here comes that dreamer. Verse 23. So when Joseph arrived, they pulled off his beautiful robe and threw him into the pit. So when the traders came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver, and the Ishmaelite traders took him along to Egypt. <clears throat> so their envy fell short of actually killing him, but they definitely sought to destroy him. They wanted that rival out of the way. If they couldn't have the robe, nobody's getting that robe. 
See, envy says, if I can't have it, then you can't have it either. And so now they got to come up with a scheme. Verse 31. Then Joseph's brothers killed a goat and dipped the blood, the robe rather, in its blood. They took the beautiful robe to their father and asked him to identify it. We found this in the field, they told him. It's Joseph's robe, isn't it? Like there's any question at all there, right? Their father recognized it at once. Yes, it is my son's robe. A wild animal has attacked and eaten him. Surely Joseph has been torn in pieces. Okay, if you don't know about Jacob's life, let me back up just a little bit. You know, Jacob, when he was a kid, he understood what it was to not be the favored one. See, his dad, Isaac, had a favorite son. It wasn't Jacob. It was his brother Esau. And Isaac intended to give the birthright blessing to his brother, the favored one. But Jacob wanted that blessing. And so Jacob, he devises a little scheme. He puts on a disguise and he fools his going blind dad into thinking that he was Esau. The trick works. He gets the blessing and he becomes known as the deceiver. Okay, all of that now is in Jacob's background. But now he's the dad. And guess what happens? He gets fooled by a similar scam, doesn't he? Isn't that interesting? You would think that Jacob would have recognized the old coat dipped in blood trick coming. But he didn't. Now he fell for the same scheme he pulled off with his father. You know what that is? Like father, like son. Friends, let me tell you something about sin. The sin that entangles us and continues to defeat and grieve us, if we don't deal with it in this generation, we will pass it along to the next generation. That is not an if, it's a when. The Bible promises it. It's exactly what happened to Jacob. Verse 34, dad sees the blood, the robe, the whole bit. He mourned deeply for his son for many days. His family all tried to comfort him, but it was no use. I will die mourning for my son, he would say, and then began to weep. You know, the ultimate irony of this tragic story is when they got the rival out of the way, they didn't get what they wanted in the first place. It backfires. Jacob focuses all of his emotional energy on Joseph, who is now gone. That's the emptiness of envy. Doesn't lead you anywhere. They just lost a brother. I mean, their desire was to be able to walk into the room and have their dad's eyes light up for them. But now that Joseph was gone, dad's eyes went dark. He didn't light up again. See, that's the destructive nature of envy. A couple of verses, Ecclesiastes 4. Then I observed that most people are motivated to success by their envy of their neighbors. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. People, envy is useless. It's a waste Titus 3, once we too were foolish and disobedient, our lives were full of envy and evil. Envy is evil. And because envy is evil, God can't bless your life when you're consumed by envy. And I'm guessing that most of us in here would really, really like God's blessings in our lives. So let's say you're ready to attack this, okay? You're like, okay, Brian, I get it. I get the destructive nature of envy. What do I do? How do I get rid of it? How can I experience God's blessings in my life? All right, check this out. A couple steps for you. The first step to attack envy is I must acknowledge my envy. You've got to admit, I'm envious. I've got an issue here. And here's the question, who am I envious of? Probably an easy one to answer because you've logged a lot of hours thinking about this person. Identify the person, say, I am envious of fill in the blank. 
And then you've gotten envy out of the darkness into the light and you can begin to deal with it. Proverbs 14, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. So I gotta start by acknowledging it. I am envious. I hate what it does to me. There's something broken inside. That's step one. Okay, the second step to attack envy is this. I must apologize to God. Now, this is similar to confession, but it goes a little bit deeper. You see, I'm talking about apologizing to God, saying, God, I am so sorry. You say, why? Well, because when you envy, this is what you're really saying. You're saying, God, you didn't do me right. Your provision is not good enough for me. You are cheating me out of something that I deserve. People, if you take nothing else out of this message, take this. At the heart of envy is the lie that God owes you. I'm telling you, this is true. At the heart of envy is this lie that God owes you. Yeah, there are many times in my life when I wish God would give me different things. You know, I wish I was, you know, smarter, better looking, wealthier, stronger, whatever it may be. I may wish and want for things, but God doesn't owe me those things. And if you really believe that God owes you something, that you can go eye to eye with God and say to him, God, you are robbing me out of something that I deserve. If you really believe that, then you don't understand the story of the Bible. Because Jesus and the Bible writers have said just the opposite. The story of the Bible is that God doesn't owe us anything but that we owed God a debt we couldn't pay. See, God is holy, God is perfect. And you and I, we've been separated from this perfect holy God because of our sin, our disobedience, the things we've done wrong. And in fact, we deserve to spend eternity separated from God because of our sin. But God, he doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he offers us forgiveness. At the cost, by the way, of his own son coming to this earth, living the life you couldn't live, dying on a cross for your sins. God doesn't owe me. Truth is, the Bible actually says, I owe God. Colossians 2, when you were spiritually dead because of your sins and because you were not free from the power of your sinful self, God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the debt. He took away that record and he nailed it to the cross. Circle canceled the debt. We apologize to God because the truth is, we owed a debt and then he paid the price for us. But envy, I'm telling you, what envy does is it takes our focus off of God and it puts it on other people. And when you focus on other people's skills or success or, or status or stuff, whatever it may be, you start to feel shortchanged and you completely miss the wonder, the beauty, the plan that God has for your life. So this week, when you feel envy starting to come on, I want you to stop and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm not gonna believe the lie that you owe me. You don't owe me, I owe you. At the heart of envy is a lie that God owes you. Okay, one final step to attack envy is this. <clears throat> celebrate others. You've got to learn to celebrate. You've got to develop this habit of celebrating your rival. You've gotta go out of your way to express congratulations, to verbally say it. And here's a great test. If your friend succeeds and you can't bring yourself to congratulate them, that's a big warning sign that envy is looming and you will end up choking on it if you don't deal with it. It will harden your heart, I assure you. Those of you who know me well know that I play bass, upright bass, electric bass. At one point in time, I was thinking about becoming a professional musician. And I'll never forget this one time I was at a concert. I was with a friend of mine and we were watching this phenomenal bass player play. And afterwards, my friend comes up to me and says, man, you must be so envious of that guy. I mean, he was just amazing. I mean, 
All of his bass lines were so cool. He was playing stuff I've never heard you play. I mean, he was just going on and on, right? All this different stuff. And after he was done abusing me, uh, I said to my former friend, I said, you know what? No, not really. And you know why I could say that? Because I had made the decision by that time to be inspired by bass players who were great to be inspired and challenged and to celebrate those bass players who were excellent. In fact, I knew the guy that was playing up there. I constantly talked him up to his face and behind his back. See, envy is a choice. And you may be thinking, okay, that that sounds great. I can see that. But what about those times when that envy just feels so thick inside of you? You just can't do it. You just don't feel like celebrating. You know, like the angry brother in the story of the prodigal son who comes back home. And what do you do then? You probably know the answer. You do it anyway. Do it anyway. You don't wait until you feel like it. You celebrate until you feel like it. Let's go to some real life examples. That kid who hits the two run homer off your kid, what do you do? After the game, you go to the kid, you go to the dad, say, way to go. Good job. Congratulations. Somebody gets the promotion that you were wanting at work, right? You know that you're better. You deserved it. What are you going to do with that? You're going to let that envy breed or you're going to go to that person and say, hey, congrats on the promotion. I know I would have loved to have that. That is a big deal. Way to go. You celebrate it. Or, or maybe you've been wanting to get married for a long time. It just hasn't worked out. Haven't found the right guy. You know, just situations haven't been right. And, and a friend of yours asks her, asks you to be in her wedding party, right? And it's like the eighth time you have to wear that ugly bridesmaid's dress. What do you do? You celebrate that. See, that's how you break the grip of envy. You learn to celebrate. Okay, so admit the envy. Apologize to God for believing the lie that he owes you and celebrate others. I mean, can you imagine, just for a second, just imagine with me what your life would look like if you were free of envy, if all your emotional rivals were your friends. And I know there's something broken inside of all of us that really, really, really wants to go after that multicolored robe. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, okay, God has given you something of greater value. You've got salvation. You've got forgiveness. You've got God's love. You've got eternal life. And you know what else God has in store for you? Interestingly enough, a robe. If you look over in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus talks about a day when God may grace you with a robe, not of many colors, but a white robe. That white robe, it speaks of purity. It speaks of salvation. And that robe will be the ultimate image of value. So I can spend my life chasing after that multicolored robe, you know, trying to fill this void, this need inside of me in some way here on earth. Or I can focus on God's love and the fact that he has something better in store for me in the future. He doesn't owe me anything, but he loves me. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much for just the opportunity I've had over the past few weeks to think about this, to think deeply about jealousy in my own life and how that's turned to envy at times. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning that we would start with this simple question. Where's the envy in my life? Who do I envy? Where's the jealousy that might be heading in that direction. We may not be aware of it, but it's there. 
And I pray that your Holy Spirit would just speak to each and every one of us, that we would not leave this place today and blow this off, but really search deep for areas that you want to work on. God, I pray that when we identify that, we would immediately apologize to you because below the surface is this lie that somehow we're not getting something that we deserve. Somehow you owe us. You're holding back on us. And then, God, the challenge will be to celebrate others, that that we can look at other people, and even if we feel in our hearts like, it's not right, I deserve that, it's not fair, that we would be able to practice that habit of celebrating good in other people's lives. And we would watch how the grip of envy is loosened in our lives. So God, I thank you so much for the power of your Holy Spirit who enables us to to take these steps, to do that which in our own flesh would be impossible. And I pray that in the coming weeks and months, even years ahead, we would continue to search our hearts, search our lives, and weed out envy. It's in Jesus' name we pray.